everyone. Welcome back to A Creative Affair. This is Bree, and I'm here with Len Metcalf in Sydney. And of course, I'm in Austin, Texas. And today we are joined by Rachel Talibart in the UK. I forget exactly where in the UK, but I'm just going to say that. <laughs> um, so we're, I'm really excited to chat with you today today, Rachel, and have this conversation um, because I I personally really admire your work and I love how much you focus on creativity and learning how to find your own voice. And um, because I think, well, I think that's ever changing. So we'll, we can talk about that. <laughs> we can talk about that for us, but why don't, can you start by telling us a little bit about you? Uh, sure. Hi. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me on your podcast. I've been listening to some of your episodes in preparation, so I know the sort of thing we might be doing. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. So thank you. Um, yeah, I'm a, a full-time professional photographer, and I specialize in seascapes and coastal landscapes. And I'm based in a suburb of London in the UK. Um, and uh, I have two companies. One is the portfolio business, so that's selling limited edition prints through galleries. And the other one is a training business, and that's um, location workshops and online and classroom training, or photography, of course. Oh, that's wonderful, isn't it? Keeps me busy. <laughs> How do you juggle two? How do you juggle two businesses? That's um, really quite amazing. Um, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I work very, very hard. <laughs> I think some people have suggested to me that I never stop working, and they might be right. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is when we're passionate about what we do, we just, we just keep working on it. I do yeah, think we exactly. definitely do. <laughs> we all take breaks, though, don't we? I mean, we all take creative breaks and <laughs> personal breaks. Yeah. yeah, you have to. Actually, if you don't, you're, you're making a mistake, aren't you? I think so. so. Yeah, I agree. But um, I maybe maybe need to learn to uh, to take more. But anyway, it's all good. I love it. And uh. it's nice having two businesses because you all know what a volatile, unpredictable game this is. And it, you know, one year one of the businesses is doing great, and the other one's having a quieter patch, and vice versa. So it's it's quite nice to have two. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, um, it sounds like you are always you. You don't ever need to sit still if you don't want to, <laughs> so, and that's okay. <laughs> well, I thought um, I thought today I know in one of your we're speaking of workshops in one of your workshops I think you do you do an online uh, I don't know how often you run it but you do an offline an online workshop about creative development and finding your voice. And I thought that would be really interesting um, to talk about between all three of us. I feel like I'm in a place where I'm working on mine, but I think maybe we all are in some ways. And because you two are more established in the art world, I think there's more solidity for you in what what you photograph, what you want to say with your photographs and, and your art. And so, Len, I'm going to pass this off to you to kind of start us off because I can't think of a question. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> oh, I think that was actually a very good question. But do you want to start a little bit easier? And maybe let's, Rachel, what's creativity about for you? Like, what's your understanding? And uh, I, this is going to lead on to the question, um, how do we actually um, teach or encourage it? And how do we develop someone through that creativity? So um, I thought maybe stepping back so we have a, a, an understanding of what you think creativity is and how that works for you might be a lovely starting point. Uh, sure. Well, I think first of all, I would say something I know you guys agree with, which is I actually think everybody is creative. I don't think um, you know there is some sort of uh, creative gene or creative talent that some people have and some people will never have. I think everybody's got creativity in them, but they might express it in different ways. Um, my husband's a lawyer. But he's a very creative lawyer. He uses a very creative mind to think of clever ways to uh, help clients achieve their goals. And um, it's it's a sort of creativity that I admire. It's just as good as painting or making photos or my daughter composes music. You know, my son's a chef. That's creative too. So creativity is um, about taking raw elements or a problem or a situation and changing it, changing it with intent and changing it into something else. And the result is, for me personally, actually less important than the process. It's the process of being creative, of, of making something new out of something else that I find incredibly rewarding. Um, and I, I think I see that in most of my clients too, actually. So it's, it's about the process. It's about being open-minded and playful and experimental and, and actually creating for the joy of creating, not because you need to have a new photograph or a new painting or something. Does that make sense? Mm. It definitely does. And um, that whole idea that process is important and is something that you can be in love with is actually, it's really beautiful, isn't it? And I think you, you're, you've you nailed us <laughs> with your homework, but we, we all agree on this. And, uh, you know, we need creativity just to talk, let yeah. alone and to function. And so it's a inherent in every single person and uh, those people that come up to us. And I know that you have them as well, these People that say I have a creative bone in my body, mm. uh, they just haven't understood themselves and uh, don't understand what creativity is and how it works. So, yeah, that's oh, that's a really beautiful answer. Oh. Uh, I love the <laughs> idea that being in love with process, because so many of us don't. Like we get caught up with the outcome, which is you know the photograph, the printing, the the painting, the artwork, the drawing, the musical performance, and by being driven by this product at the end, we end up being incredibly disappointed with ourselves and have all these battles and struggles. Um, but when we're in love with the process, the outcome doesn't matter <laughs> and we have a much better time and we produce much better art um, for ourselves. I, yeah, you've nailed it for me. I think that's really, really beautiful yeah. answer there. I wonder if the product because we are kind of talking about art here. So, <laughs> um, but I, I'm wondering even for me, if my product of creativity, I think that creativity is the process, but I'm wondering if the product is 
that I'm more satisfied with it when I have really enjoyed the process, when the like emotions that I've experienced throughout the process of creating it have been like a really satisfying to me. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm going to, I think I'm going to look at my work and, and think about that a little bit more because the, the images that I can think of that I really love have been a product of some, some of that real pro like, mm, joyful, creative have been an outcome of a really joyful, creative process. If that makes mm. sense. One of the things that gets in our way, and I find this, and maybe um, others may have as well, but if making the artwork has been really hard and a huge struggle, the process is really hard. Um, I've actually overrated the quality of the outcome of the print, thinking that it's really beautiful because it was so hard to get. Um, and uh, it actually gets in the way of my own judgment of my own artwork. That's, that's happened quite a few times where I keep thinking, oh, well, that was really hard to get, so therefore it must be good. And I know it's not true, but it, there's one of those little things that's happened to me <laughs> in the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, sh I, sh I think that sounds very normal and very human to me. Fantastic. So, Rachel, I want to get better as a, a, a creative. How do we do that? Like, how do we? In, in, how do you actually improve our creativity? Is it concentrating on this process? Is that well, what we do? I think there's loads of steps to it. And obviously everyone's journey is going to be different because we're all unique human beings. Um, but one of the big hurdles that I think I perceive with my clients and other people that I talk to is this idea that time for our creativity is an indulgence, a luxury. And we really ought to be off doing something sensible like the housework or, you know, the day job or looking after the kids or whatever, paying bills, you know, all of that stuff. Whereas um, I think we should think of our nurturing our creativity as 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 much self-care as remembering to go to have your teeth checked every year and, you know, getting your blood pressure taken when you get to my age <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, all of that stuff, uh, you know, just it, nurturing our own creativity and making space for it and time for it is, in my opinion, just as important as, as looking after our bodies and our finances and everything. And if we're going to be, if we're worried that that makes us sound selfish, well, the people in our lives need us to be productive, healthy uh, partners to them and parents and whatever. Um, and if we are fulfilled creatively, we're probably going to be healthier mentally and physically, I believe, and more able to actually successfully do all those other sort of mundane jobs that I just mentioned. Um, so I, for me, a lot of the time with my clients, it's about persuading them that they're actually not being selfish when they block off a day in their diaries to go off with their camera that actually that is something that they, they deserve. Mm. And that's something you do, isn't it? Like you block out time to go off to your beach. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> I've done that tomorrow. In fact, I have got tomorrow blocked off um, for photography and I'm going to go no matter what. And is that like, do you go for the whole day? And, um, no, not, not. Or is it uh, just a little period of time? It depends. Um, it depends on the time of year. I wouldn't go all day now because we're into um, British summertime and sunrise is at like 7 
a.m. earlier, 6.30, and sunsets at like 7.30 p.m. And that's a very long day, and I'll burn out if I try and do that. But So I'll probably go at the, in the middle of the day and hang out until after sunset. Um, but I don't live at the coast, unfortunately. I live about an hour and a half away, so I've got a factor three-hour round trip into every every outing. Well, that sounds terribly close because for me to go anywhere in Texas, it's at least that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but maybe you photograph other things then. Yeah, that's true. That is true. You know, this morning I did this. I I had things on my schedule. Um, I'm doing a little um, hiking training program and some other things. And I'm trying to, you know, kind of fine tune my mornings. And while I was sitting there doing some of my own like morning work and I had these big, gorgeous windows, this fog just started rolling in from, I I had no idea. It was very, I mean, I don't always check for fog. It's just, it, it just, it got so thick outside. And it, it, when it started really accumulating, I thought, well, I can do this stuff later. So I moved what I was going to do to, um, you know, maybe an hour later or a different part of my day, I just adjusted and I just grabbed my camera and stood on my back porch and really enjoyed myself. Like, what is there, what is there to see here? What, um, because it's fun to be in my, at least my own backyard and how sad for me to not experience that without, you know, to sit on my sofa doing more of my work, um, which would be fine too. But I thought, I don't really want to miss this opportunity. And so it could have, could I have felt like it was indulgent? Sure. But I, I'm really glad I moved around what I was doing because I do think it's really, I do think it's important mentally. And think about all of the I'm thinking about my experience this morning and I actually felt so much better afterwards because I know Ooh. that I had like endorphins going. There's like ha- like happy chemicals that can appear, you know, that, that can go through our bodies when we're doing this work. And I think that's a lot what contributes to our mental and our physical health. And so I'm really grateful I did that and I don't feel bad about it at all. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, we just want to feel bad about it. <laughs> right. Um, well, I mean, what I'm saying is I think it's good for us to take the opportunities sometimes when they present themselves and then just shift around what we're doing. There's no need to feel like it's indulgent or it's, or that we have to feel bad about it in any way. Cause it, because I made a choice on purpose to do that. So I don't need to feel bad about it. Like I'm going to get everything done. I trust myself to get everything done that I'm going to, that I want to do. And if something slips by, it's okay too. So I love feeling creative and starting my day that way. Here's a question for you both is um, why is spending time being creative healthy for us? Why is it so good for us? What is the benefits of it? They're they're obviously there. What is is it? Well, I'm I'm no medic, but I think Brie already mentioned the uh, endorphins and all of those lovely things that we get from it. So there's probably some very measurable, scientifically measurable benefits from it. I mean, it makes you feel happy. That's the fundamental thing, which sounds really simple, doesn't it? Like, you know, I've just dumbed it down massively by saying that, but I don't think I have. I mean, I think that's what it's all about in the end. Um, it's enjoyable. It's it's absorbing. It, you lose yourself in it. You forget about all the stuff in your life that maybe isn't optimal. 
and the stuff in the world, which is really not optimal at all, especially these days. And while you're while you're creating, you just you just forget all about that. And we we do need to have times where those things aren't pressing down on us. Um, you know, I think even if 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 our objective is not to close ourselves off from the world, but to actually try and be a, a force to make it a tiny bit better, we still like we were talking about earlier when we said, you know, you do need times when you're not being creative to give your creativity a rest. I think your creativity gives you a rest from all the other stuff. Um, a balance. It's all about balance in the end, isn't it? You need a balance of both. Um, and hopefully, you know, if, you, if you're striving to improve the world, you'll do a better job because you had some t- downtime when you were exercising a different bit of your brain. I personally think it's a joy to to feel like I am contributing something more beautiful to the world. I mean, I don't know that I am until I actually put it out to the world. So whatever it's on my memory card right now, um, whatever's on my memory card is on my memory card. But I think there's, there's all of those thoughts that go through your mind that are like the happiness can come from being so grateful to have that experience and also thinking about how you are contributing to the betterment of the world and not just like for your own selfish reasons. And I, I think, I think that's, I think that's really lovely. I think that's what makes art so wonderful is that there's a beauty in art. I'm not saying that every piece of art is like sweet, beautiful, (laughs) because there's a lot of art that I think is kind of, you know, dark, but it's also really enjoyable to have that mental time to think about if I'm going to like an art gallery or something to look at, to ponder about, to think about all the things, the different things in the world. And I think you're right, Rachel, it gives us that break. And yeah, and I, are there more synapses? I wonder, I'd really love to talk to like a scientist or, you know, someone who knows this stuff, maybe someone who's listening can tell us, I bet there's like new synapses that we create when we are doing creative work that actually make us, I want to say smarter, smarter humans. I, I think it contributes to like a whole person, you know, and that we can think easier and all of those things. I want to know like what that's about. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're probably right without, I mean, arts and humanities brain here. So I don't know any, any science stuff at all, but it sounds we're all about guessing. right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I mean, we were talking about creativity quite broadly to start with. But if we narrow it down to art, I mean, for me, um, it can sound quite selfish when you talk about your own creativity and what it gives to you. So it was really interesting, Brie, then that you you took it out of that to what the product can do. And for me, art is a communication between the artist and the viewer. That's what it is. And it's, I mean, we we all need to communicate. In fact, the world would be a better place if we did that better. And art is a great way to do that. You can share your deepest soul with someone else. Um, And if you do it well, then that's an amazing, magical kind of, chemical reaction going on there between you and the viewer. And I find that as an idea really exciting. It could be described as a flow of energy, isn't it? And um, this uh, this magical spark between the viewer and the artist, uh, the viewer and the artwork actually feeds you. Mm. 
as the as the person. I, I find that personally um, very very powerful that um, people engaging with my work be- becomes a motivator to produce Definitely. more and, and, and to. I totally agree. And then we are all also viewers. We're not just the artist. We're also viewers of other people's art. And all of my uh, clients who do the creative stuff that I offer, I I require them all to review and view a lot of um, art. And I give them photographers to investigate. I expect them to feed back to me the results of their investigations. And they have to do a heck of a lot of that because if we're going to be good artists, we need to be good viewers as well. And um, I think that's really important. What sort of things would you ask them to investigate, Rachel? Oh, well, I'll give them the names of artists and our websites, or if they don't have a website, which a lot of them don't, believe it or not, uh, galleries that represent them. And I'll ask them to go away and then they have to come back and they have to tell me what they thought of the work, what they liked, what they didn't like. Could be possible. That's a perfectly legitimate response. And why? There always has to be a why. And um Give me examples of work they liked and they didn't like. And so what, it's really great oh, fun, actually. <laughs> it is. I know it's great fun. I'm obsessed by it yeah. myself. What, what's the benefit of doing that? Why would we do that? I think there's a, uh, a few reasons. But, I mean, one of them is um, if you're going to be an artist, you need to build up in your brain a knowledge of the language of the art. So if I wanted to be a novelist, I mean, how... How could you be a great novelist if you never read novels by other people? I don't think you could. And it's just the same with painting, photography, any of the arts, poetry. I think you have to to learn the language of your art form. You have to be a consumer of that art form before you're a creator. And I also think if you really are passionate about I mean, let's get specific now. We're photographers. If you're really passionate about photography, that's not a chore. That should be an absolute joy. And if it starts to feel like a chore, then maybe you should not be doing photography and go and <laughs> go and investigate something else. Um, because, I mean, it's an absolute pleasure, isn't it? I, I get so excited when I discover a new, a new artist um, and uh, you know, one that I enjoy. Um, I think that's a lovely rabbit hole to just sort of, burrow into indeed it is it's gorgeous to discover a new artist and then um it's expensive when you have to buy some of their books or something (laughs) uh, i went to my i went to my artist friend's open house last night because she's doing all these shows and she's like here is my new work and i'm like oh well i'm gonna get some work while i can get it so so there's a print um and i was gonna say that it's a tundra too huh I can't remember. I'm looking through behind you and you've got a round artwork behind you. That's and, um, it. It's, she that's printed- called a tondo. Oh, that's right. Oh. It just came to me. A tondo is a round artwork. It's in a, so it's in a square frame and it's a print, but she's framed, she's done the mat with a round and she had a triptych of them. So I only bought one. Mm. So, but I, it's a beautiful genre. It's, it's in um, West Texas and it's, it's, from her work in West Texas, which I love. So, um, I, who said, and maybe you two can remember we bring, was it Ansel Adams? Was it, um, uh, um, doesn't matter. Who it said doesn't it. matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just, I can't, uh, minor white, minor white. 
Mine or what? Yeah, it's probably, I think it was him. We bring to our work, to our art, all of our experiences, everything we've ever, you know, experienced, seen, right? Like all, all, all of who we are. And so by going out and experiencing other people's work, that adds to who we are and being able to, there is power actually in being able to iter, like uh, verbalize what we think about it and why we like it and why we don't. And I, I think there's power in that rather than just having the idea, but actually being able to explain it is really powerful. I mean, I'm sure you've seen this, Rachel, that it's maybe difficult for people at the beginning and then it gets easier and easier to explain why. And then, and then tell me, do your students start to make these connections about what they like and what they don't and start moving towards like different places in their own work? I'm just curious what kind of, um, what you've seen come out of this. Well, I've had the pleasure of um, working with some of them for months or even years and being sort of very much involved in their development over a long, long period. I mean, some, some of my, uh, one-to-one, um, clients we've been working together for two years now and yeah I mean absolutely and sometimes it's fun uh for me and I I, to sort of I've still although I don't keep the large files I've still got all the um previews in Lightroom of the work that they've shared with me so we can go and we can't do anything with them because they're just the previews but we can look at them so I say I say right now look you've done that Let's just go back two years ago and see how you were doing it then and what's changed. And that kind of, that's really rewarding. It's a confidence booster because they see how far they've come, but also really interesting for them to see where the threads, maybe you could see them beginning there two years ago and where they've led to now. Um, I sometimes think I maybe just get a bit geeky about it because I find it personally so interesting. But most of the time their reactions are suggest that they're also really, really enjoying seeing that. Mm. I find I, I, I work in Lightroom in the same way. All my students' work goes into there and then I mentor from a one long cat- catalogue of that student mm. or with the whole class. And um, one of the things that we're teaching is actually how to make the connections with the earlier art and looking for these common threads and that's one of the things that people need to learn to do is go back into their work and go, oh, look, um, I, I, I keep doing really beautiful art with the color green and or I, I, really, I really love moving water in this particular way and there's this thread that goes through or there might be a, like for me, I really love, I work square and I really love a diagonal line. And then I, it's like once I noticed like, oh, my God, I've got a whole book just of photos of diagonal lines um, and, and these threads come together and then some of them are, are much clearer about projects um, like a sense of place or, you know, a type of tree or a type of flower or um, a feeling that runs through them and that by noticing and grouping them together, they they really start to blossom as they they can actually see these connections and go, oh, actually, I am working in series already and I didn't even know and um, my work is actually grouped together. And then they actually start to get a, a stronger focus for where they're heading into the future. Yeah. Um, 
I love that process. Me and too. yeah, working with someone for a couple of years and actually watching them change and grow is absolutely incredible mm. to um, be a part of that journey for them. Yeah. It's a privilege, actually, isn't it? It is a privilege. Mm. Yeah, very much so. So, what I'm noticing is that we're all talking about not a quick, rapid change. Like these, we're not noticing these things overnight. These are, this is change that and development that happens over time, a year, maybe two. Maybe you can go back for, you know, a few months and notice a change. But I think for the most part, I'm hearing like a year, maybe two. And so that is interesting to me because I, I feel like there's, if that's what we're talking about, there's no substitute for just getting in and doing the work and trying things and experimenting a lot. And so I'm wondering if you, if either of you have seen a correlation between the, the time or like, do we get to, do we develop faster when we make more work? I mean, I would think so, but, but (laughs) There's a yes. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've only been thinking about this recently, um, actually. And um, it's a direct correlation entirely. Do you know what? The more it's like this for everything you do in life. The more you do, the better you get. And, you know, it's the photographers I work with. You know, I give them an, an assignment and they they go off and they they go once to the place where they need to go to do this work. You know, maybe I say go and do long exposures of blowing trees in the wind and you've got to get the leaves moving, but the trunk's static and you need to avoid sky. You know, I might give them a really specific assignment and they go off and they, they go to the woods once and then they send me the work and they've got three pictures, four pictures. Oh, that's the client who goes repeatedly for two weeks, three weeks, a month and makes tons and tons of photographs and has a huge job on their hand, whittling them down to however many I've said they can send me. But they'll always be better because they've put in the work and there's no substitute for it. People keep asking me in magazine interviews, what advice can you give to people starting out in photography? And I I say something that must make my YouTube friends really cross with me because I say, stop watching YouTube and go outside with your camera. <laughs> as often as you possibly can, and just make lots of photos. <laughs> I just did both. That, I just did both. <laughs> that, that person that only went once and took came back with three. Uh, you know, that's part of our job is to challenge them to keep yeah. going back and to Absolutely keep working right. on it and yeah. and to do that. And people say, Len, why are your photos of trees so beautiful? Well, I've been doing it since I was 16. So that's uh, 40 something years of thinking about the beauty of a tree. Mm-hmm. It's not something I just picked up and started yesterday. Yeah. It's actually a whole lifetime of it, that experience and those sort of things. Um, do you think that um, it's a... The visual communication is a universal language in all of this work. When they're studying and looking at other people's work, is it universal? Oh, that's interesting. I think, well, assuming you're sighted, um, I think it probably is actually pretty universal. Um, But I definitely think people, so I don't believe in talent. I've said this publicly more than once. That's slightly simplistic of me when I say that. Um, I'm 
trying to be simple about it because I find that talent is used reductively. A lot of the time, like people will say, oh, well, of course, it's easy for you because you're talented. The subtext of that is, well, I'm not talented, so I'll never be able to, which is awful. I don't like that. I think everyone can do it. Um, but some people have, um, let's say they find it easier, quicker. They take, they acquire the skills and the vision more quickly in particular ways. So my daughter, I mentioned earlier, she's just about to graduate from university. Her major is film scoring, writing music for movies. And when she was little, she showed an interest in writing music from a really young age. And I remember one day, she's maybe eight or nine. And I just said, I said, Maggie, it's just great. I love listening to you composing your songs. And she said, mum, she said, I hear music all the time. So she literally has songs in her head 24 seven, obviously, sometimes she's asleep, but you get the idea. She hears music all the time. I don't, but I see photos all the blimmin' time. I can't go anywhere without seeing a composition, noticing the light. So some of us maybe are more visual. Some of us are better with sound, whatever. So I think there are variations. I mean, I think we then, where our visual language might differ, might it might be hard for us to, like with everything, to work out where's nature and where's nurture. You know, you'll have a different visual language if you've been raised in the East from if you've been raised in the West and so on and so forth. Um, but now that gets so complicated because it's it's nurture as well. And we can't we can't know how much have, of nurture has has got into the in the way and changed the way a person sees. Did I answer your question the way you meant it to be? <laughs> well, yes, there's some really beautiful things in there. And one of the ones that the riddle tell for me is that um, that statement is it's different for the East and the West because that implies that it's not universal, that there's some cultural elements in there mm. as well. And, uh, you know, this is leading towards voice and, and, you know, where are we, how are we expressing ourselves and what is our as our voice. And part of the fundamentals of this is having a, a solid visual language. And by studying other artists, which you've also told us about, um, we're learning that. And um, what I'm discovering for me is that it's different for every single person. And we read things and we have different symbols and we see very, very differently. And uh, like we can't even agree on what the best photograph is or the best artwork is because it's there's so much variation and we, we all have our different loves and those sort of things. So I think it's a, a, a quite a beautiful answer um, in that sense. And uh, it really pulls us together, doesn't it? The, the, these foundations and as we uh, unfold it, I'm going to just throw in a spanner, um, I suppose, is that I think it's a, a development of self that actually makes the artist better. It's a, a deeper understanding of who I am and what I love and what excites me. And that starts to give me a direction of where to go uh, into the future um, and then hence um, gives a voice. I like to think of it, um, I like that you said what excites you because I like to think of it as like, where is my zone of genius? Because not all of us have that same zone that we excel in. Like Rachel, you were talking about talent 
And for sure, I think the people who we would say, oh, you're so talented to have taken what they have decided their zone of genius is where they can excel more quickly in what feels easy, what they're excited about, and then worked hard to make them exceptional at it. And so I, I just love thinking that somewhere at some places in my life, I have a zone of genius that I work in and, you know, I'm like, Oh, I think I'm in my zone of genius here. Like this is my zone of genius because it helps me feel like this is something that I'm excited about that I'm that's going to be easy for me to work in. And so that's a place I want to put my energy towards. And so maybe that's a little bit how we find our voice is like noticing, um, first noticing what different artists like excite us or not, or what we like or what we don't. And then figuring out what we like to do, what excites us, and then putting all our energy towards those things rather than spreading ourselves out really thin. I don't know. What do you guys think about that idea? can shoot me down. No, I'm not <laughs> going to shoot you down at all. I mean, what, 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 uh, two things really come to mind. Uh, first of all, I think, as I sort of slightly sheepishly admitted, my broad brush statement that I've said on podcasts in the past about not believing in talent is slightly more nuanced than that. And we're, we're exercising in, in, to some degree, some semantics here. Um, you know, your, your zone of, of uh, what, what was the phrase you used? Genius. And there by the way, I, yeah. Um, and by the way, I agree with you. I think that this idea of talent is kind of, it's kind of a little overrated. It's a blanket statement that we use to uh, yeah. say all I these mean, things, you know? Yeah. It's, I, I guess my, my argument is with the way people use the word talent reductively rather than the concept itself to, uh, to refine that. So I think you've called me out on that quite beautifully. Um, so, so that's good. Um, making it more about uh, photography specifically onto the second part of your question. So absolutely agree with you. I think we have to, or what I've said to my clients in the past is you've got to figure out what you can spend longer looking at than anyone else without getting bored. So I can spend. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I can spend way longer looking at the foamy edge of the tide on wet sand than almost any other sane human being. <laughs> I like to think I'm sane, maybe not. You know, they'll have got bored long ago, which means that I'm far more likely than they are to find something new to say about that thing because I'm looking at it for way longer than they are. So, Len, you just mentioned trees. So you've spent a lot of your life admiring, loving, enjoying, noticing, understanding, sympathizing with trees, maybe way more than the average person. So it stands to reason that whether you're talented or not, you're more likely to find something new or more interesting to say about those trees because you've spent a lot longer in their company um, and, and sort of properly um fully present in their company you, you're not just standing there you're actually engaging with the trees intellectually and emotionally um so you know I've, I've got clients who i've just spent some time today with a client who has the most amazing understanding for staircases you might think what really staircases how can you love a staircase it's not a tree it's not a wave it's not a flower or fog or you know the desert but actually, architecture is a is is a, an art form. Of course, it is, and she she is, is nothing to do with her day job. She's a doctor, 
but she just absolutely loves staircases and she's producing these now these really beautiful multiple exposure photographs using staircases that today just blew me away and I've had the pleasure of working with her over a long period and hope I get to enjoy that hope she'll gift me with that for a, a longer period because this is so much fun to see this but no one else would have found their way to those because they'd have walked up the stairs or down them and and gone off and done something else so you know I, I love that and I think that's what that's when things get really cool when photographers do that and just concentrate they're, they're, they're not bored to spend forever in the company of these things I, one of the exercises I do, um, Rachel, is I have people come to me and say, I don't know what to do, what to take photos of. And so I send them off and to come back with 50 or 100 tiny prints, you know, drugstore prints, four by six inch prints. And we cover the table with uh, their favorite photographs. Um, and I give them a number so that uh, it's a, a stretch, like a stretch goal, um, which is what Bree would say. Um uh, you know, 50 to 100, and we cover the table and I start grouping them together um, in front of them. And it, it's within, you know, five or five, a few minutes, I'm actually able to talk to them about their loves in their life. And I found that there's a, colora a coloration, is that how do you pronounce it, between beautiful artwork and their um, personal connection with their subject. So, oh, you love people or, oh, you love trees or you love water or you love cars, um, you love engines, you love staircases, and you can actually see that glowingness of their love in the quality of their work around the subjects that they're the most connected with. And um, uh, I, some of my clients can't, still can't see it and I've had one client and uh, uh, this happened 12, 13 years ago. I said to him, um, this is Paul, if you're listening, Paul, photograph gardens and flowers and uh yeah we you know me and my wife we garden we go to flower shows every weekend and I could see it in his work and uh we I taught him for a year and then he went away and he came back five years later and we're sitting in the front of the car coming back from another workshop and he says Len uh you were right it's just taken me five years to understand um what you could see in the quality of the work at the beginning and uh yeah, I, as you're talking about it, for me, it's love and connection or interest in that particular subject. And like I photograph rubbish and I don't love rubbish, but I have a, um, a, an ethical, emotional connection with the environment, which rubbish affects it. And so that I have an, an interest in photographing it to stop it. Um, so there's a not always a love connection, but there is somewhere in there a, a deeper understanding of myself. And while I've been photographing trees, I don't think I picked at a young age that I'm a tree lover, um, but I was definitely a tree hugger. And uh, now I could actually tell you about why I love trees so much as where I was younger uh, was just something that I did. Um, quite instinctively, whereas now I can go, oh, here's all the deeper understanding about that particular subject and why I pursue it so relentlessly. Well, um, one of the lovely things when you're a teacher, I think, is that you can sometimes, as you clearly have done with your clients with all their prints spread out on the table, you can help a client find the thing that they really need to photograph. And um, I've got one client who has been working with me for a couple of years and she, uh, from the very beginning, 
she, I mean, the reason she came to me, I guess, was because she loved the sea and she absolutely does love the sea. But the whole time I could see that she was also doing this sort of other work with feathers and flowers and still life and tabletop and home studio stuff. That was really good, really good. But she just had it in her head that she loved the sea and she was going to photograph the sea. And I, at one point she said, Rachel, she said, I feel like you're pushing me in a different direction. And I said, just trust me, trust me. I, I've seen something here. And now she has produced what for me is her finest work to date. I say to date carefully because she's not going to stop. And if she, the next thing she does might be off the sea and be even better. But she's produced a, a really beautiful portfolio of very um, dark black and white studies of ferns and things like that. And it's, uh, it's just small, but she did a small exhibition that I went and visited last month, beautifully printed. It's gorgeous work, really, really fine work. But I don't think it's at all what she expected to be doing when she started working with me. And that's really, really nice. I just really chuffed that she's, she's sort of gone that way and produced this amazing body of work that any of us would be very proud of to have on our websites and in our portfolios. That was really trusting of her <laughs> to, to yeah, move in that direction. <laughs> but I, I uh, yeah, she she was willing to take the risk, and I, you know, it paid off. Good for her. Right. It seems probably in hindsight, it didn't seem so risky at all, did it? But no, maybe not. But you know, she still had to invest a lot of time and energy yes. in producing that work, and um, you know, she. She was up for it. She was up for it. So good on her. She deserves all her success. Good for her. It's one of the it's one of the reasons that they come, isn't it? Is to uh, for that knowledge that you and, and that guidance of where to go. And so um, people are very receptive to that. Usually, aren't they? Or well, some not not everyone, but quite a lot are, because that's their connection with a mm. teacher. I I do want to ask about because you mentioned a few words over and over and it's body of work, portfolio, series. Um, I'm really interested to find why you keep using those um, those words and, and, you know, encouraging people to do portfolios and, and, and you actually teach portfolio development. What is it about a portfolio? Yeah, um, it's about depth, to put it most simpl simply. Um, I, you know, I, I've got clients who come on location workshops with me who um, really it's not of interest to them at this stage anyway uh, to make a portfolio. They, Or at least they would think of portfolio as just all their landscape photos or all their mounted photos or something. Um, and they really will just travel a lot and they'll photograph a lot of landscapes, big vistas usually, and they'll do it really, really well. Beautiful photographs. But what they're not doing really is stretching an idea across a whole body of work. You know, it's just a series of photos that represent a place and do it well. But they don't really express a lot about the photographer behind them. But if you can get an idea and you can spread it over a whole body of work, so that every photo and the whole body of work expresses that idea. I think you, you have the potential to dig much more deeply into yourself and then everything we've talked about so far 
about meaningful communication and about creative fulfillment and self-expression, they all come to the fore. And I just personally know that I really love working on projects. I much prefer it to standalone photographs. And so I think just on a very simple level, if that's something I love doing, then I'm probably going to teach it a lot better too. What about you? I mean, you're the same. I know that you like doing that as well. So tell me about that. You're not wrong. (laughs) I know this. I am stalked. (laughs) Yes. Go ahead, Len. Well, you know, we both love projects, but Len, you have, you know, out of the two of us, you have the more experience with the clients. Um, you teach yeah, them to do projects. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell Thank you what, Rachel. We'll let Len <laughs> share. Let's put her on the spot. <laughs> and then I have something that I noticed recently that I will share. Okay. Oh, okay. All right, Len, um, you're up. One of the benefits is it focuses me. And when you're talking about joy and happiness and being in this beautiful state of creating um, the, that, that process, I, which I absolutely am addicted to, I, um, it's the making of the artwork that I love rather than um, the rest of it afterwards. Uh, and that's why I have so many artworks is because I just keep making more and more. And I love being out doing it and working really hard at it and totally being lost in it. And so the projects focus me into there easier. Uh, so if I have, and, and I juggle maybe 20 or 30 projects in, in my head at once, um, and they're, they're lifelong ones rather than, oh, and what happens when I'm actually out working, uh, I'll focus in on one. And I'll work on it. And if I get bored, I'll stop and go and start on another one or then I'll start finding another one. And sometimes I'm actually looking for the project or what's talking to me and and what's happening. So not only does it focus me, um, it gives me a reason for being there and and really pushes me. But I also, as you said, depth is another part of this. um, Once... I start putting artworks together, they start having uh, conversations with each other and that conversation between each other be, makes them more meaningful and adds extra depth to, to how they're working and it makes them stronger. And even just the process of putting two together, and this all started at art school, you know, because you had to present a project um, when I was 18 um, for your marks. Like I really got into the habit of it straight away and I needed a teacher. And I remember the day George Schwartz is his name, had all my 16 by 20 inch prints out on the floor and had 50 of them all on the floor and started putting them together in in little exhibitions and going, well, look what's happening here and look what's happening here. And can't you see the themes that you're actually working on? And it opened my eyes. I've, so I've been obsessed my whole life on on projects and presenting them in, you know, in Lens Journal, we work, we showcase projects, um, meaningful bodies of work, and then taking them to the point of books. And when, like, when we talk about my trees, there's not one book, there's like 20 books of trees. It's, it's ridiculous how how big it gets when you really get into something that you really love and the projects um, keep evolving and keep turning up in there. And so that's as the bigger one, but there's probably 20 or 30 little ones in there 
And uh, one of the things I've always loved about your work, Rachel, is also your obsession with this one beach. (laughs) And I have an obsession with one place as well. And uh, every time I go to that area, I go and visit it. And it's like an old friend and I'm hunting for more. Like, And I remember the first time I discounted that place and I took one photo and left. And, and I never went back for 20 years. And then I'm like, oh, my God, there's books in just in this one spot. How could I be so naive as to walk away or whatever I was in that point? So, yeah, projects are very, very special for me. And that's why I asked you because <laughs> uh, I was going ding, ding in my head. And Bree, you, like, you really do love projects. Like your impossible your impossible goal was a project. Your um, beautiful um, sand dunes that I'm seeing recently is another one. Your infrareds. Tell us about your love for projects. I guess it all did start with a project. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I mean, that was a physical project, but we're talking about, you know, um, focusing on similar Uh, similar veins of things. And also I want to go back to for just a second and say, I'm still hearing the time, you know, we need time to let some of these things uh, develop, no pun intended, and, um, (laughs) and kind of, and solidify more for us. And also we don't see some of the patterns unless we have uh, even a small body of work to go back and then notice the patterns, right? So we do kind of need to, I don't think we get to uh, like finding who we are or figuring out what projects we want to do by, you know, uh, making one piece of work or even 10 things and going, okay, now I know. So, because it's a constant evolution over time. So I do love projects now because now I feel like I have like, and I'm saying this in quotes enough, I have a a decent body of work to go back and start really noticing things. And I'm also, when I'm doing my own photography, when I'm creating, I'm picking up on some physical cues, like some energetic cues when I'm making the work. So Len, um, so this is what I was going to tell you, Len, do you remember that infrared image that I made in Florida? And you said, this is my favorite one. It hits like all these leaves and there's, they look like hearts. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Okay, it's black yeah. and white. Maybe I'll make this the cover of the podcast. Um, <laughs> and And what I love about that one is that some of the leaves, so it's made with my infrared and some of the leaves are underwater and some of the leaves are out of water. And so all of the water is black because there's no, I made sure that there were no, there was no um, glare or reflection there. And, and I love how some of the leaves, they kind of fade as they go under the water and they brighten as they come out. Right. Which is kind of natural, but with infrared, it just feels a little bit different. So I hiked with my family on Saturday and my, I, I just bring along my infrared for fun walking around. It's my fun play camera because it feels like play when I'm looking through it. I'm like, Oh, what's that? Oh, what's that? Oh, that looks different over there. And so I, I got to, I went to this place called Lost Maples. It has tons of trees, trees, gorgeous trees. And what is my favorite image? Plants that are half in half out of water. <laughs> and so, and so I, I mean, I still, I haven't looked at it yet. Um, it's still, you know, still in the memory card, but I have this physical memory of the experience of photographing it 
and remembering how much I really enjoyed it, what I love about it, because um, beca- and because I'm starting to make some connections. And I think I only have a few of those now. But now I'm realizing why I'm bringing this up is because now I'm realizing that this is probably a direction that I want to go in. Like when there's water, I may want to, and I have that camera, I may want to go and look specifically for that and see what will come up for me because I feel like that's part of like maybe my zone of genius or something like that's pulling me to it in, in some way. And I think that's really important that we follow those cues. Like we know our work, we know what we have, and then following the cues when we're in the current making of them to then create the projects. So it was really fun. Kind of excited about it. I completely agree with you. Um, I think you've got to follow those cues and I think part of that is you've got to have the courage to say, well, actually, it doesn't matter if these are going to be any good or not. And that's really important. So um, I, I've one of my projects is um, called Ghost in the Shell. And it's just a series of photos of shells on the beach with foam washing around them. Uh, so shutter. They don't sell a lot. A handful at most. They're not going to, you know, they're not the sort of thing that people want on their walls. But I have loved making that project. Um, It's not done. None of my projects are done. Um, I've absolutely loved it. Some of my best times have been doing that project. And if I had thought to myself, well, no one's likely to buy these. They're not really the sort of things people want. They want big waves. Just do big waves, Rachel. Then I would have missed out on all of that. And I would even go so far as to suggest that the big waves would have been worse for it. I actually agree with that because I think even, even I, you know, I guess it's tricky. I'm not a full-time photographer. I don't make my living from it, but I guess it is a little bit tricky when we want to make work that people will purchase versus making work. And maybe we're lucky enough to make work that is what we find complete joy in or what we're drawn to. And also, um, also what people will purchase. But I think we have to follow those little threads when we feel drawn to do those. And I think I agree with you. I think those big waves would have been worse off. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful series, by the way. Thank you. I mean, (laughs) I know you look on the surface and go, it's just shells and water, but there's something really magical about taking the time to notice those things. And those are all things that we would just walk over. Which yeah, is most people, most people do. Uh, that's, that's a shame for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you get to bring it to us, which is lovely. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So this sort of brings us around to talking about our voice because um, making a meaningful body of work and uh, photographing shells swirling in the water or waves crashing or leaves going into water and infrared or trees or whatever. How do we you know, what sort of things do we work on to, f- to find this voice? Is it just following our love or is it just following one way of framing what Bree's talking about is success? So I had a really successful one, so I'm going to keep looking for that and um, pursuing for another one. Like, Rachel, how, what advice would you give me or anyone else to, you know, finding their inner voice? This advice is going to sound very, very basic, but I think it is. So first one was you have to, you have to, um, well, actually, my, have you worked with or come across Sean Tucker? Um, yes. Yeah. So um, I've 
met Sean. He did a um, YouTube thing about me. So sorry, Sean, what, about what I said about YouTube earlier. <laughs> and he's also written a book about creativity. And I like the way he describes it, that in order for the out-breath of your creative output, you need the in-breath first. And that's all the stuff we've been talking about. It's all the um, the inspiration, the looking at other people, other people's work, and not just that, but you know, listening to music and being out in nature and all of that stuff really matters. And then once you've you know you've taken your in breath of inspiration, then you have to find a way to breathe out efficiently. And so, you know, this is kind of boring and prosaic, but it matters. Don't sort of decide that you're going to do a project about the Aurora Borealis if you live in London. You know, that's not realistic. You're not going to get to spend enough time looking at the Northern Lights. You, you need to find something you can go to often and easily. It's much harder to make a project of something you've got to travel halfway across the world to photograph. So, you know, if, if, if you live in a place that's way away from the beach, much further than my hour and a half, I don't consider that too far, but, you know, I've got some clients who have a minimum three hour journey to get to the sea, then don't specialize in the beach, you know, find a local woodland and go and walk in it a lot and see what you can find. Um, you know, you've got to be practical about it. There are some practical limitations. And then spend as much time in the company of that thing as you possibly can. Just just go there as often as you can with the camera and without the camera and make as many photos as you can and review them. And if you possibly can, find a peer or a group of peers who you can trust to give you fair, encouraging, but fair and genuine feedback and just keep working and keep going and go back and do it again and repeat and do it again. And that for me is how you find your own voice, which sounds quite boring, but it's not actually. If you're bored, then you probably need to go and find something else to do. <laughs> a, a really interesting thing here is you're a total avoidance of the word style. <laughs> and um, we're, we're concentrating on the word voice and we've talked a little bit about look. So, um, uh, what do you say to people when they say, I can't find my style? I want to find a style. Yeah, I kind of think style's the servant of voice, isn't it, really? So I think they need to find their voice and their style will emerge, I think, if they find their voice. Um, style to me, just just it's an awkward word. I know what people mean and they often use it to mean the same thing as their voice. But style to me just has too many overtones of appearances and it doesn't sound it doesn't sound deep enough to me. Whereas voice mm -hmm. suggests you've got something to communicate, something to say. It's not just about how you say it, but about what you say. I think style, I was gonna say I, th I feel like style is a little bit more static and I don't know, hard. Like this is the way it looks. This is the way it has to look. This is my style. So this is how I do everything versus the voice. This is how I express. This is how I express. This is how I express. So sorry, Lynn, I interrupted you. Oh, no, that's okay. Um, I, I teach it as style, voice, and look, and I, I consider all three elements. And um, when I get to style, I tell them to ignore that 
part and to concentrate on their voice and not to even think about it and to relax about it. But we can use looks as a way of grouping artworks together and um, to creating conversations. And it might be through technique, but it might also, a look might be through processing as well. And, you know, the three of them are all tied up together. And I, I really love that idea that people are asking for one thing, but they really just haven't explored it enough to understand what they're even asking for. And uh, that's a, a beautiful takeaway uh, to think about because it's such a common question. I get it all the time. And my answer is, well, you need to concentrate on your voice rather than your style. And not many people actually need to concentrate on their look, but that just seems to happen quite naturally. But Sometimes it's worth playing with, um, but I use that as for series and I tie works together through look and subject and meaning to, to pull things together. I'm wondering um, at this point, like we've talked about, I mean, we're really alluding that voice is important, that working on projects and being able to express yourself is important, but I'm like, why? Because I think as artists, we put a lot of emphasis on being able to like find this thing <laughs> and have this thing be able to express our voice. But I noticed that there's a lot of people that are, uh, that there are artists that are in a hurry to find it. Like I've got to find my voice and, and I think we'll all agree here based on our conversation thus far is that it takes time. It doesn't come quickly. We don't need to be in a hurry to get it. But also, why do we want it so badly? Like what is so important about having a voice as an artist that makes it something that we want? Yeah. I mean, that there's a very superficially shallow uh, response to that, which is that it's about difference because... There are so many photographers now. I mean, pretty well everybody's a photographer these days. And um, there are a lot of really, really amazingly talented photographers too. Oh, dear, I've used the word, the T word. Um, let's, let's not. Let's say uh, a lot of very capable <laughs> photographers who are uh, doing, doing it really well. <laughs> oh, dear. It's really you mean photographers that have been- <laughs> Photographers that have found their zone of genius. <laughs> yes, that's it. Photographers <laughs> that have found their zone of genius. But uh, seriously, though, I think none of us really want someone to say, oh, yeah, you know, Rachel Talibart, her work is just like someone else's, but, you know, make someone up. Um, that's not something I want to hear. In fact, it really annoys me when on Instagram I might post a picture and someone will say, oh, have you been hanging out with so-and-so lately? because they think maybe so-and-so does work that's a lot like mine. And I just think, oh, go away. <laughs> um, we don't really want that, do we? We want our work to be different. We want, we want to, to communicate something unique. And whilst I think unique might be an almost impossible goal, um, I think that we can at least get some of the way towards difference by making work that speaks of us. And I get some people get really cross with me about that. So um, I wish I had it to hand. I came across it the other day. I think there's, it's on the website of a competition. There's a quote by Ansel Adams that basically says the opposite of Minor White. So Minor White said oh, every photograph was a self-portrait, which sounds super egotistical until you dig in and understand the man, Minor White, and or try to anyway, and what he meant by that, which 
actually was much more interesting. And Ansel Adams has been quoted as saying something like, you know, that the, the landscape photographer puts their ego aside. They're just you know, a, a sort of neutral cipher for the, the beauty of nature and, and the creator. But actually, Minor White and Ansel Adams probably agreed. It's just, you know, two different ways of saying something. Um, I'm, if we take those statements literally, I'm more in the Minor White camp than I am in the Ansel Adams camp on this. Because if all we want to do is just literally reproduce what we saw so that someone looking at the picture could imagine standing next to us on the beach, I, I don't know. What's the point? It just doesn't seem very valuable to me. I think it's much more interesting to show the viewer something that maybe only we noticed because of our unique life experience, our unique worldview, our many, many months, years, decades spent in the company of that thing, learning to see more deeply. And we can share that with somebody else. And then our photograph is kind of a self-portrait. It can't help it. It might be a photo of a wave, but it's also a photo that expresses who the photographer is, how they think, how they see the world. And that's our voice. And that's what we want, isn't it? And the closer we can get what we produce to matching up with what we want to say, it like there's some harmony. There's some sort of like, uh, there's a harmony about it. Like it, like we, we feel, you know, I talk, I'm a musician. So, you know, when, when you're in tune, um, when I'm tuning with another instrument, there's like these waves that, that come together that, um, that beat together. And that's kind of what we want is we want it to feel like it's, um, it resonates. Yeah. I, I mean, that. we're all in such a hurry not to be egotistical, right? Because we're told that ego is bad, but we all have to have ego as well. I mean, this is way more complicated. Of course, we haven't got time to start getting into <laughs> ego and the id and all of that. Let's not go there. Um, no, let's just but, talk about yeah, art. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I know that they are related. Um, but sure. there's another very, very well-known photographer who I won't name in the UK, very revered landscape photographer who I've heard on, on podcast interviews say he dislikes the hubris of photographers who say that they want to express themselves through their landscape photography and that it, we should be more humble in the face of nature. But this photographer typically does wide-angle vertical photographs where he finds foreground interest that other people may not have found. And he uses a wide-angled lens to stretch that foreground interest. Um, you know, we all know how wide-angled lens work, in, especially in portrait format in a landscape. And he is imposing his artistic vision on that scene. It looks completely different from how it would look if I rocked up with a 40 millimeter lens instead and decided not to put that rock in the foreground um, or that make that clump of grass with frost on it be dominant in the scene. He is imposing his way of seeing on that, that scene. And I don't think we can help do that. We can't possibly do that. Why would we want to chase that goal? It makes no sense to me. It's not interesting. You know, I'd much rather, I'm glad he does impose his view on the landscape because he shows it to me in a way that I might not have seen it myself because I, I look differently. And now he's expanded my, my view of the world by sharing his. 
It's interesting because Ansel Adams had the biggest ego and um, <laughs> and his work is actually full of himself yes, um, in, in a beautiful way, yeah. but it, it is very much him. And you see videos of him and him reading his books. It's incredible um, uh, how much he's in there. And I'm definitely on the minor white side um, of, of this discussion. And, um, you know, that foreground interest, you know, people like Dombrovskis do that incredibly well and it's got a very, very long tradition of um, photography, this vertical leading your way through into the photograph is a, uh, an incredible tradition to play there. Isn't it more, it's so exciting that we can actually learn from our artwork and this idea that it is a mirror, um, like I've been photographing my whole life almost um, and I'm totally obsessed lately about the meaning of what it means to me right now. And I'm, I've been studying art therapy and a whole lot of things around that to try and even delve into it more and more. And uh, uh, in this realization that I have got a mirror there that can educate me and teach me, I'm growing through this introspection. And I couldn't do that or understand that um, when I was younger at all. And I didn't, I, you know, it wasn't part of the where I was going or this understanding, but now it's an obsession like, oh, what does this mean? <laughs> and as I find new symbols and ways of speaking and talking through the art, I feel like I'm on a journey of self-discovery and uh, it's a really, really beautiful one that art becomes this incredible teacher for me as well as being the therapist and my enjoyment and my um, time waster and happy place. So it's got such a a multiple, multiple layers of complexity that is immersive and all-encompassing. So, yeah, that's a really beautiful set of metaphors there um, to, to play with that. No wonder we get so passionate about our work. <laughs> Does all the, it can do all those things <laughs> if we take the time. Yeah. That's why we're obsessed, isn't it? Yeah, yes. we are. Probably, let's face it. <laughs> Hopelessly. <laughs> Hopelessly. Yep. Hopelessly. <laughs> so beautiful. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I, I feel like I always come away with, um, from these conversations with like, Oh, I want to go do that a little bit more, or even it just deepens my own understanding about my own work. Um, because I'm able to express some things about me or about what I want or what I'm looking for. And so, uh, Rachel, I really appreciate you sharing this with us. It's been really wonderful. Oh, it's, it's been fun. Thank you for asking me. We didn't really disagree about anything, which is probably bad, but never mind. It was fun. <laughs> it was great. We tried. <laughs> we did kind of try, but I don't think we got, I don't think we got there. I don't think we got there, no. <laughs> no. Um, will you, before we go, can you tell our audience, do you have anything upcoming? Where can they find you? We'll put all, all in the show notes, but is there anything that you want to tell them about. Yeah, I, I, I'm really bad at marketing and stuff. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, I'm easy to find because uh, it's, it's just my name and no one else has got that name. So it's easy to find kind of a weird name. Um, so uh, provided you sort of spell Rachel right, and I'm sure it'll be in your show notes and you yes. spell my surname right, you'll find me. That's my website. That's my social media. Um, well, I mean, I was in Lens Journal. There we go. So if, yes. If if, yeah. People will have seen my work in the journal. Thank you, Len. Um, <laughs> I, I got, I've got a, a new Sirens book coming out this year. But, um, you do? I do, but 
it's I'm going to make myself really unpopular. It's crazy. It's a vanity project. We're only printing 200 and they're going to cost hundreds of pounds each. Sorry. (laughs) Someone buy some of my work so I can afford Rachel's. It's, Don't uh, be sorry at all. It's it's only going to be sold by galleries, so uh, you know it's in that market. And uh, yeah, I'll probably okay, make well, it sounds loss. almost handmade. It, yeah, it's it's not quite handmade, but I mean, it, every each unit costs more than quite a lot more than a hundred pounds just to make it the cost of production. So this is a, an incredibly risky move on my part, but I just decided <laughs> I wanted to do it, so I'm doing it. Okay. Oh, fantastic. I'm excited. I can't wait to um uh, to see what and how that evolves and um I'm an absolute passionate bookmaker and uh, I'd love all forms of bookmaking and uh whether they're handmade through to, you know, publications and yeah, the size of the edition doesn't matter, does it? It's um that's how how beautifully the enjoyment of immersing yourself in something you can hold and and wander through. And yes, I'm a passionate collector of books. Oh, me too. I mean, behind me here, you can see that's just a tiny fraction, <laughs> tiny yes. fraction of my photo book collection. <laughs> Love it. I, I knew today was going to be a lovely conversation because I, I've listened to you talk on other podcasts and um, uh, you've said things in the podcast and I've been walking along going, oh, she says the things that I would say, and um, <laughs> I, I've really felt a connection through listening to you uh, uh, talk about how you teach and what's important to you. And uh, so it's been so, so lovely to explore that with you today yeah. and to, to dig a little bit deeper um, on some of these things, which has been absolutely wonderful. Oh, so I've, thank you very much, Rachel. I've really enjoyed it too. Thanks to both of you very much. All right. I guess this is when we say goodbye. All right. Until next time, everyone. Bye. Bye. Say bye, Rachel. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Ta-ta. You could do like my grandma did. Ta-ta. (laughs) Ta-ta. We don't actually say that in the UK, you know. (laughs) I didn't think so, but my grandma was so funny. You can stop recording, Lynn, if you want to. Thank you for joining us in our creative affair. If you love the passion we bring to this creative content, please support the podcast by sharing with a friend, subscribing, and leaving us a review. Thanks. If you'd like to learn more about creative photography, visit lenmetcalf.com, where you can find links to Len's photography school, videos, and publications. He would love to invite you to sign up to his newsletter. To find out more about my work, including my photography and mentoring in my Creative Confidence group coaching program, visit creativemindscoach.com. See you next time.